Finding our focus is essential. If we are going to know what God has in store for us. In fact, life is challenging, it's confusing when we lack focus. It's not just challenging and confusing, it's frustrating and even annoying. Many of you are looking at the screens right now and you're going, something's not right. And yet, if we were to be honest in our life, that's what so much of our life looks like. When we think about how we're going to handle our relationships, we're in a little bit of a fog. When we think about what's going on in our career, we're in a little bit of a fog. When we, we try to navigate issues with our children, we're in a little bit of a fog. And God has brought you here this morning, friends, because just as the images on the screen go into clear focus, God wants to bring your life into clear focus. He wants you to understand your purpose. He, he wants you to, to walk in destiny. And understand this, destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. The choices that you make determine your destiny. And you can live with understanding, you can live with clarity, you can live with purpose. As a young man, I, I, was, I was blessed with exceptional vision. Man, I, I, could, I could make out anything and everything. I want to let you in on a little secret. The contact lens in this eye is for close-up. The contact lens for this eye is for distance. You, you look really good out of this eye. This eye, hmm, not so much. Actually, some of you are a little bit better blurry. And, and I, I, can, I can remember in my, in my later 20s thinking that I still had the exceptional vision from my teen years. Not, not realizing that I was squinting more and more and more to see the street signs. Anybody else, can, can anybody else relate to that? Right? And then I went to the doctor and I went through that whole, is this better or is this better? Is it better now or better now? Better now? They, they both look bad. I just, I can't see anything. Keep flipping that thing. <laughs> but, but they, you know, they, they got to a, a certain level and I was like, oh, Wow. I can, I can see everything. And I, I remember leaving with that first pair of glasses and going, there are street signs out here. It is so much easier to figure out where I'm going now. My, my prayer for you is this, is that at the beginning of 2019, that God will bring life that God will bring himself, that God will bring identity for you into clear focus. For the next six weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at what is absolutely one of the greatest books on life and leadership that's ever been written. It's the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look specifically at the prayers of Nehemiah because it is in the prayers of Nehemiah that, that we find this path that God's given us to living a focused life. Nehemiah, when, when we are first introduced to Nehemiah, Nehemiah is living. He is the cupbearer to a Babylonian king 
and he's living in one of four palaces that this kingdom has. It's in the, it's in the palace or in the citadel at Susa. It is 446, 445 B.C. Now, 142 years ago, Nehemiah's homeland, Israel, Jerusalem specifically, was destroyed. And so for, for over 140 years, his, his homeland is lying in ruin. But, but for Nehemiah, life is good. Nehemiah living as the cupbearer to the king, he's living a life of comfort. Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king, he's living a life of influence. Nehemiah as a cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah doesn't have to wonder where his next meal is going to come from. Resource is plentiful for him. He is well taken care of. Nehemiah, even though he's living a life somewhat in captivity, he's living a life that to the casual observer is blessed. Can I offer you this today? There are quite a few people in our world today. There are quite a few people in our city today. There are quite a few people in God's house today that are living a life that appears to be blessed. What they don't understand is they're actually living in captivity. And Nehemiah has a brother and some friends that come to visit him. And it tells us this in, in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, and they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Beginning of verse number five says, then I said. The result of Nehemiah's prayer can be seen in Nehemiah chapter six. And it tells us this in Nehemiah chapter six. Remember, friends, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. It has been, the city has been reduced to rubble for 140 years. Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, and here's what it tells us in Nehemiah chapter 6. It says this, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. It's remarkable to me. It's remarkable to me that this, this city that lived for years in disgrace, because it, the city of Jerusalem, it was sacked... Uh, by the Babylonians in 586 BC. It was only about 30 years until the Persians defeated the Babylonians. And the, the Persian king allowed for the return of, of, of the Jews to Israel. King Cyrus issued a decree in 539 BC that the Israelites could return to Jerusalem. So 539 BC, Cyrus says, you can go back and rebuild. 446 B.C., 90 years later, the city is still lying in ruin. It's still lying in disgrace. And oppressors can come and wreak havoc on them. And that is not God's plan for His children. It was not God's plan for His children in 445 B.C. And it's not God's plan for His children in 2019. Understand this. You are not meant simply to be a survivor. 
Life is not meant to be endured. It's meant to be enjoyed. God's Word says over and over again that He desires for you to live blessed. 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 Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come in that, that they might have life and have it in its abundance or have it to its full. I believe this. I believe that it frustrates the heart of God when His children don't live in abundance. When His children don't live to their fullest capacity, their fullest potential. Understand, it is absolutely the heart of God that you walk in victory. It is absolutely the plan of God that you walk in victory. Well, how does that happen? It will not happen. I can promise you this. It will not happen without some focus coming into our life. Focus coming into our day. It's the key. This issue of focus. In fact, I had the opportunity um, when, I was, when I was right out of college, I had the opportunity, um, I, I went through a significant training with Apple Computer and was affiliated with Apple Computer and, uh, and was fascinated by uh, the gentleman who, who led this organization, a gentleman by the name of Steve Jobs. And, and can I offer you this? In the, in the mid-80s, uh, there was some excitement about Apple. There was also some, people wondered, you know, can this upstart company really make it? Uh, can, it can it really accomplish anything? There, there was a time that Apple's share went from $14 a share down to $3 a share. By the way, if you would have bought Apple, if you would have bought a thousand shares of Apple stock at $3 a share in, 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 in the late 80s and held on to that, that stock, uh, that thousand that, that $3,000 investment today, you'd have about $17 million. What, what made this, this company have this crazy, crazy uh, mercurial rise? Here's the thing. There were so many people who said, Apple, you need to do this with your computers. And, and Steve Jobs said, no, they need to be simple. No, you need to do this with your computers. No, they need to be simple. They need to be simple. They need to be simple. This one thing we do. Steve Jobs said this. He said, it's, 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 it's one of my mantras. Focus and simplicity. Focus and simplicity. Focus and simplicity. You know what I hear all the time? That life is complicated. Life is complicated. I want to let you in on a little, you in a little secret. It is not God's plan that life be complicated. Are you ready? Here's God's plan. Love God. Love people love the world. You might want to write that down. Love God, love people, love the world. You know what makes life very complicated is we get f confused. And here's what we do. We tend to love things and use people rather than loving people and using things. And when we love God, when we put God first and we love people, what happens is this. Life works. Life makes sense. It's it's, it's our activity that makes it very complicated. In, in November of 1999, I had the opportunity to be on a missions trip to San Carlos, Nicaragua. And I remember sitting there uh, one night after we had, we'd spent the day laying block. And, uh, and so we, we were tired, but just kind of sitting out on the, the patio of this kind of ragtag uh, 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 hotel that we were staying in. And some of the guys were talking about Y2K preparation. Anybody remember that? How many of you bought a generator in anticipation of Y2K? Don't raise your hand. Right? You were freaking out. You stockpiled food because you knew that Y2K was going to be the end of the world. Remember all, all, all that? 
And, and as we were sitting there, one of the guys asked me, they said, Pastor, have you bought a generator yet? And I said, no. They said, are you going to buy a generator? And I said, no. They said, don't you think you should prepare for Y2K? And I said, no. I said, why not? I said, look around. I said, I want you to look, look, look at these folks. Do you think any of these people are worried about Y2K? They're not worried about Y2K. Here's the thing. <laughs> they live life with simplicity. But you know what I notice? I notice their kids are playing in the street and they're, and, and, and they're laughing. When we leave this mission trip and we go back home, at that time I was living uh, in Wisconsin, I said, we go back home to Wisconsin. You know what we're going to find? We're going to find people freaked out and stressed out. And yet, God's Word says this, that the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't understand why it is that God's church isn't a much happier place. I'll tell you why it's not a much happier place. Because we make things far too complex. Life is simple. See, when, when Nehemiah's brother, Hananiah, when he, when he came to him, and he told him about the condition of Jerusalem. It tells us this in, 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 Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1. It, it tells us this. When I heard these things, this is verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Nehemiah was greatly troubled. He was greatly distressed. And quite honestly, he didn't know what to do. And so he sat there in frustration. He sat there in depression. He sat there in distress. There's something that he did that was significant. It says this in verse 4. I fasted and I prayed. Notice he didn't just mourn. He fasted and he prayed. Here's what Nehemiah said. He said, there's so much about this situation I don't understand. There's so much about this that is far too complex, far too confusing for me. I know on my own I can't deal with it. I know on my own I can't figure it out. Can I tell you something? I can relate to that. In my life, there is so much that on my own I don't understand. There is so much that I cannot figure out. Serving as the leader of this church, there is so much that I do not understand. There is so much that I cannot figure out. And Nehemiah, this young man of God, here's what he knew that he needed to do. He said, I've got to recalibrate. I have to get my focus right. And so what does he do? For some days, he fasts and he prays. This is the reason why we're calling you starting today. The first full week of January, we're calling you to a time of fasting and prayer. For some of you, you're going to join us in fasting the entire week. For some of you, God's going to impress upon your heart that you need to, that you need to choose one day this week and fast that day. For some of you, maybe it's fasting one meal for the entire week. I know that there are a number that you're, you're already engaged in the Daniel fast, and I just encourage you to lean into that. Something significant happens when we turn our focus to God, and that's what fasting does. It turns our focus to God. And what prayer does is prayer, it creates a, a, a communication line between us and God. And so Nehemiah he, for some days, it tells us, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then in verse 5, he says, then I said. 
And we see this, we see this prayer that is, that is verbalized, right? The, 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 the time of fasting and prayer that he does for some days isn't recorded. But the first recorded prayer, it's this prayer that gives us an incredible model of, of getting focus in our life. Nehemiah's prayer that starts in, in Nehemiah 1.5, it's a prayer of purpose. And just as Nehemiah prayed, if you and I would follow the same model, here's what we would find. If we go to the Lord in this, with this type of posture, here's what we'd find. A lot of this confusion that we have in life, okay, a lot of this clutter that we deal with that affects us vocationally, that, that affects us relationally, that, that tends to frustrate us and, and, and put us in places of fatigue and fear rather than faith and fruitfulness. If we, if we simply follow God's word, the directive that he's given us and the example that he's given us in his word, here's what we find, that life goes from being something that we are enduring to something that is enjoyed. See, the promises of God, friend, are real. Those over 7,000 promises that are in that Bible, every one of them are real. And God wants you to live in them. Man, it's so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? It's so easy to get frustrated and, and discouraged and distressed. And something, if, if you spend any time around Calvary at all, you've heard me say this, and you'll hear me say it over and over again, because I want it to see deep into the recesses of your heart and your mind. That anything that you put in front of God is going to be a pressure point for you. Anything that you put in front of God is going to be a stress for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, Manny touched on something this morning that is simple yet profound. God's word doesn't say to give him the tenth. We're a church that believes in tithing. I want you to know I'm a tither. I want you to know this. Every one of our pastors are tithers. I want you to know all of our elders are tithers. Okay? We believe in this. I'd never ask you to do something that I don't do. Beyond, beyond tithing, I give. Jody and I give in offerings. We give, we give faithfully to missions. And we th we're thankful that God allows his resource to flow through us. But friends, it's not just the tithe. Here's what the word of God says. It's the first tenth. It's the first tenth. Why? Because the first redeems the rest. It's why we worship on Sunday. We give God the first day of the week because God honors the giving of the first. And so when we turn our first attention, when, he when we turn our first focus to him, this is why we're, we're calling for a week of fast and prayer on the first full week of the year. Something significant happens. And notice this, when Nehemiah, when he fasts and prays, he reaches this point. And look what it says in Nehemiah 1.5. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly, wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Is Nehemiah spends some time in fasting and prayer, and he reaches the point that he has this firm understanding or this clarity about why Israel is in the condition it's in. And to have focus in our life, it first requires an honest assessment. 
Far too many of us, we live, in fact, I grew up in this environment of accuse and excuse. Right? Excuse my behavior and accuse somebody else. By the way, it's super easy to, to grow up in an excuse uh, and, and accused world if you grow up in a large family. I'm the 12th of 13, and there was always a sibling to blame. Right? There really was. It was so easy to say, oh, no, he did it. Or she made me do it. Today, we blame the neighbors. We blame our family. We blame uh, the, the government. We blame our boss. We blame, right? For, for all of the challenges, for all of the issues, for all of the hurdles, for all the hassles, for all of the hardships we face, there's always someone to blame. Jesus, when he's walking by the Siloam pool, there's a, a man that's sitting there, and this man was born blind, and he's there as a beggar. And his disciples ask the question that is, that is so typical of human nature. They ask Jesus, Jesus, who's at fault? Who's to blame that this man is blind? Is it his fault or his parents' fault? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. It really doesn't matter who's to blame. In fact, in this situation, nobody's to blame. The whole reason this man was born blind was to where you would understand the power of God, that you would have this revelatory moment. But we get caught up in this accuse and excuse mindset. And, and, and it, becomes, it becomes the norm. There's something that happens when we have honest assessment. We live in a pretty image-conscious world. We, we do. But isn't there something that's particularly disarming? When you have the opportunity to be around people that are, that are honest about who they are and honest about who you are, in, 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 this, in this culture that is so plastic, and prepackaged. You know, I, 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 I've showed you guys this one time before, but I, I give an example. Somebody, uh, people oftentimes, they ask me, how is it that you can get these folded so nicely? And here's the reason I can get these folded so nicely. Right? It's so easy. I just, look at that. I mean, that's just simple. Right? By the way, when I wear ties, they're not clip-ons. They're zipper ties. No, they're, they're not. That, 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 honest, that honest assessment. Sir, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You ready? That scale is not broken. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Okay? Uh, sir, I'm also going to let you in on a, a, another little secret. All right? Um, you cannot run as fast as you ran 10 years ago. All right? When you see those young people out there playing ball, no, you can't still do it. Okay? That day is long gone. And it's time for you to embrace that. Embrace who you are and live in the moment. Honesty, that issue of, a, of an honest assessment. Here's what, here's what happens when we live in an honest assessment. And Nehemiah has this moment where he's honest before God. God, I recognize that the reason why Israel is in the condition it's in is not because you let us down. And isn't it true that oftentimes we blame God? God, I recognize the reason why Israel is in the condition it's in is not because the Babylonians were such horrible people. 
God, I, I recognize the reason that Israel is in the condition that it's in is, is not simply because it was fate. It's just the way the world works. God, understanding your plan and understanding your promises and with the, with, the, with the track record that we have throughout the millennia that you keep your word, that you keep your promises, God, we recognize that the situation that we find ourselves in, it is because we have not been walking in alignment with the purpose and plan that you have for us. And Nehemiah embraces that. And, and here's what's interesting to me about that. When Nehemiah embraces that, here's what he says. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house. Nehemiah has likely never been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah, understand, it's been 142 years since Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians. Nehemiah grew up in captivity. So the fall of Jerusalem was not Nehemiah's fault. And yet, here's what he does. He accepts responsibility. Why? Because he recognizes that he is part of the whole. He doesn't say, I confess the sins my forefathers committed against you. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. Friend, part of, the, part of God's plan for you to begin your life, to, uh, 2019, January 6, 2019, is to today, right now, to have an honest assessment. Okay, the reason why your marriage is struggling is not because of your spouse. It's because of you. The reason why your finances are so messed up is not because your boss failed to give you a raise. It's because you haven't been obedient to God and what God has told you in stewardship. The reason why you have frustration in, your, in the activities of your day is because you have not given God the first in your time. And, and listen, I'm not here to put you on blast. I'm just saying it's time to recognize the grace of God, but in the grace of God, to come to God honestly and God, go, God, the mess in my life, I, I, I now it's me, okay? God, the devil did not make me do it. I chose to do it on my, on my own. Okay. Or the devil might have made me do it the first time, but I enjoyed it so much the first time, I said, let's do it again. Am I the only one in the room? You see, when the Apostle Paul was writing to, to, to the church at Rome, he said this. He said, I have to die to my, my, my flesh daily. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. You are not perfect. Sir, you are not perfect. In fact, I want you to do this. Turn and look at the person next to you and look at them and say, you are not perfect. Go ahead, I'll give you a minute. Okay? Now you need to look back at them and go, neither are you. See, perfection is reserved for God alone. And we're all works in progress. And as we understand that, it gives us the ability to, to breathe. Nehemiah, in his honest assessment, it's not condemnation. It's not condemnation. He's not devaluing who he is in God. But he's having an honest, honest assessment and an honest realization. And, and listen, here's, here's why he can do that and not become depressed. Because in that honest assessment, he quickly, he quickly gravitates to God's promises. He remembers the promises of God. Okay? So here's here's. I'm, I'm going to read to you 
verse number six, okay? And, and, then, and then watch as it flows into verse number eight. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open here. The prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sin we Israelites, including myself and my father's household, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws. You gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Nehemiah says this, God, I acknowledge, I, I, honest assessment, God, yes, it's me. It's, it's not my neighbor. It's not my children. It's not my parents. It's not my spouse. It's not my boss. It's me, God. It's me. And I honestly, I honestly, God, I confess to you my lack. And God, I can do that. I can do that and not stand here distraught because I also know, God, your promises. And your promises say this, if you return to me, I will return to you. And in fact, God, you showed us in the story of the prodigal son, even when we're far from you, if we just turn towards you, you run to us. See, that's the promises of God. That's the heart of God. And if we're honest about who we are and we embrace the promises of God, here's what happens. It gets clear. It gets clear. Nehemiah, he spent that time, those several days, in fasting and in prayer, and he knew when Nehemiah starts praying in Nehemiah 1.5, he knows where he's going. He knows he's praying to God because he's got to go back to Jerusalem. And he understands that he is responsible. He also knows this, that God's promises are unmutable. And he stands on promises like, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. He keeps those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, those are the promises of God for you. That's the plan of God for you. The Nehemiah understanding that, he Grabs hold of that. See, Nehemiah can be, he can be honest because, because he knows the, the promises of God. He knows the promises of God. See, and this is, this is all, this all hinges. Here's what this all hinges on. And, and here's what happens. When we do that, when we do that, it will, it will, it will bring a, a very quick restoration to value and identity. Nehemiah's journey to value and identity wasn't years, 52 days. What could God do in your life in the next two months? But here's where we have to get to. <clears throat> when he starts his prayer, he says, <laughs> incredible awesome, amazing God who keeps his commandments. See, before Nehemiah talks about honestly where he's at, 
before he reminds God of his promises, he acknowledges that God is supreme. That he's ruler over all. God, I can, I can count on your commandments. I can count on your promises because you are the great and awesome God who will keep his commandments, who will keep his word over and over and over again. And sir, ma'am, you're here this morning and, and you're confused. You're frustrated with today and you're kind of freaked out about tomorrow. I want to let you in on something. That's not God's desire for you. There's some question about whether or not the company that you work for is going to survive. That company is not your source. It is a resource. Right? When I was a little kid, there was a, a, a metal box that set out on our front porch from Puck's Dairy. And uh, I could go out there and there would be glass jars of milk. Anybody else remember those little metal boxes? You know, when I was a little kid, I thought that's where milk came from. Milk came from that little metal box. I'm going to let you know a little secret. Metal boxes don't produce milk. See, that metal box was not the source of the milk. It was simply a resource. Your job is not the source of provision for your life. It's simply a resource that God uses. God is your source. He is your provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're here this morning and that doctor's diagnosis has you freaked out. Understand this. Healing will not come from the hands of your doctor. I want you to hear me again. Healing will not come from the hands of your doctor. God and God alone is the giver of life. Now, God may choose to use the hands of your doctor as a resource, but the source of healing, he is the God who heals. He's the God who provides. He's the God who, who heals. He's the God who protects. He's the God who preserves. He's the God who restores. And it all starts with acknowledging him in all that he is. And when we recognize God's supremacy and we're honest about who we are, but in that honest assessment, we, we, can, we can feel comfortable in that honest assessment because we also, we know his promises. What God will do is this, is he will bring a restoration of value and identity and a clarity into your life that will allow you to take those next steps with confidence. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.